Welcome to the Detail Athlete Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Carr. Uh, We have a special guest in the building. He is a graduate of Midland Valley High School in Graniteville, South Carolina. Graduated in 2010. Um, He was a two-sport athlete. Played football. He played basketball. He graduated with honors. 4.0 GPA. He graduates and goes to USC Aiken on basketball scholarship. He leaves there and goes to Augusta University where he graduates. He is the head coach at Chapin High School. My brother, Marquette Carr. How you doing? What's good with you, man? I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Uh, I feel like it was a no-brainer. My first first episode, I had, I had to get the family in here uh, for what we're trying to do with this podcast. Uh, so, like, like I mentioned, you you were a uh, you were a stellar athlete, football, basketball. <laughs> Man, we we all grew up watching. Uh, talk a little bit about that. What what was it like growing up uh, in this community playing playing football and basketball at at Midland Valley? What what was uh, what was some of the things you had going as as a senior, junior, senior in high school? Yeah, man. Uh, growing up, growing up in this in this community, uh, it's a small, tight knit community. So everybody played everything. So when right. I grew up, you know, we played football, basketball, baseball. Uh, everybody did that. Um, and I feel like you know the guys who were older than us, they were super supportive. Uh, you know, at your local park, you know, you had to kind of pay your dues to get on the court. Uh, guys would groom you, and then. Uh, when you were good enough to play, you know, they, they would put you on. And there was a level of responsibility that came when you got to high school, just, just representing the community and the ones that came before you. Right. Um, so, you know, getting to my junior and senior year, uh, I, I had began to get a little bit of, a, a little bit of uh, some steam had started to pick up on the recruiting truck football-wise, actually. Um, Credit to my coaches at Miller Valley, uh, Rick Knight and staff. They they played me at a bunch of positions, so I was you know super versatile. Um, well, what 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 positions did they play you at specifically? Uh, so I played I played free safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played in the slot, wide receiver, um, and I grew up playing quarterback. Right. So uh, you know been able to to show my versatility at all three of those spots. I think it. I think it just did nothing but boost my uh, my recruitment. Uh, on top of that, I was a, a really good student too. Mm. Uh, so you're talking about a 4.0 GPA, um, and so that just made things even better for me. So uh, junior year came, you know, some I started to get you know a lot of buzz on the football field, um, and then senior year, you know, going into my going into my senior year, I had a really good AAU mm-hmm. uh, run on the AAU circuit, and so basketball, basketball began to pick up as well. Uh, but a lot of a lot of schools shot away because they, you know, the word was I was going to play football. Right. Um, so that's that's just kind of how junior year and senior year, you know, panned out. So let's talk about that a little bit. What so coming out of coming out of high school as you're going through highly recruited, I remember. Vividly, so open uh, answering phone calls, uh, but but talk to people a little bit about some of the schools that you were recruited by. Football, yeah, yeah. yeah. So football, um, Air Force. Uh, there there were a, a ton of Ivy League schools. 
Georgia Tech, uh, Vanderbilt, Georgia Southern. I mean, the, the, I could go on. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was quite a few, quite a few big name schools. Right. So I, I definitely remember answering the phone a bunch of times. Uh, hey, this is the head coach of Vanderbilt football. You know, like it, that. That's definitely a, a surreal thing. So, so my thing is, what what was it? Uh, let, let's step into the basketball thing. What what were some of the schools that that really reached out to you about basketball? Because you end up choosing basketball, right? Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, what made you choose. Uh, it's crazy because I, I honestly was under recruited uh, basketball wise. Um, and, and a lot of that was because whenever, you know, they were having those live period events, um, I was doing football stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really get to be seen. Um, but like I said, my junior year, uh, played with Terry Wright, uh, Columbia Hoyas League, uh, just had a really good summer. Um, and you know, he had a ton of people reaching out. You know, a lot of, a lot of mid-major division ones, uh, division right. twos. Um, but again, you know, the plan was football. So I, I honestly didn't really take it seriously. Uh, it wasn't until, it wasn't until I had an injury, uh, mid year football season, I had an injury. Uh, and then we had a really good, you know, record winning season basketball wise right. that winter at Miller Valley. And so I was like, oh, you know what, man, I think I can, basketball is kind of the route, you know, just coming off a really big big AAU uh, circuit that summer and then uh, coming in the winter and having a good good basketball season um, and at that point it was pretty much the locals you know your Aiken, your uh, USC Aikens um, Augusta University a little bit mm -hmm. uh, my relationship with Jamie Quarles um, some other some other peach belts a lot of, a lot of division twos right. um, is what I remember so I was gonna wait till the end, but now we on this on this topic. Yeah. Division two. You know, a lot of kids they come in like all they hear is D one, D one, D one. If I'm not mid major power five division one, then I'm I'm low level. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about your experience playing division two basketball. Man, let me tell you something. Uh I was blessed to play at USC Aiken. Uh and if you've ever been to the convocation center, like the facilities there are as nice as you're gonna get, man. I mean, they're nicer than a lot of a lot of mid-major division one. So I agree. Right, off, right off the bat, you know, I felt like a division one athlete. We were treated like division one athletes. Um, but now nah, the competition level is right there. I mean, aside from aside from some major power fives, I mean, the competition level is, I mean, it's it's pretty much neck and neck uh, and then when you talk about me I play the point guard play translates no matter what level All right. so I mean we play on my own team I had some really tough guards and Raymond Nelson and Sterling Council but uh, you know the teams we played like the guys were unbelievable All right and I and I can definitely speak a little bit about that too playing at Queens University so right, 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 uh, right. that's that's about as top tiers you get when you talk about Division 2 no doubt in and, the and Southeast when you, talk, when you talk about those top tier schools Division 2 man uh, they would give any Division 1 a run for sure and as you as you have been along, a ride, along for the ride with me mm -hmm. uh, lose the weight for us by 2 yeah yeah 
uh, beat a VCU who yeah, was just in the Elite Eight. Beat a, a tournament VCU squad. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's one of those things where I feel like my thing is don't get caught up. When we're teaching kids, man, like don't get caught up in what level. I yeah. think it's more so whoever wants you, mm-hmm. who uses your skills, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, it's all about free education. Yes, sir. Right. So opportunity, so, free education, experience. Uh, you know, only seven, only seven percent of kids get to go on to the next level, and I'm talking NAIA to Division One. Right. So if you're in that seven percent, man, that's a that's a special category to be a part of, a blessing to be a part of. So right. So now we talk about we talk about percentages. It was a good transition. Oh, seven percent get a chance to even play college ball, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But let's talk about the percentage of going professional. <laughs> it slims down, right? Yes, sir. So, yeah, so now let's talk about your journey. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't make that percentage. Yep. Nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. you, you end up getting the coaching. Uh huh. So let me ask you this question: What, what made you say, okay, I'm gonna put my dream on the back burner? And let me just teach the game. Let me coach the game a little bit and help the next generation. What, what was that turning point for you? When and how, how did that really occur? Uh, for, I think it starts, man, like you use the word teach. I think I've always been a, I've always been a coach on the floor or on the field. Um, you know, I played quarterback and point guard. So Correct. you are an extension of your coach. I, uh, credit to my coaches for giving me that, you know, the, kind of the free responsibility to be able to do that right. uh, as I was growing up. But yeah, so, um, so you know, I played two years at USC Aiken. Uh, from there, I decided that I, you know, I wanted to go a different direction. Now this was, this was pre-transfer uh, portal. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't that easy back then. So I, yeah. you know, so I went to a neighboring junior college, Aiken Tech, mm-hmm. um, and played there a year. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yep. Uh, and we'll get back to the question. Mm-hmm. Talk about going to Aiken Tech because a lot of people will think, okay, I don't win. Division two, got a scholarship, and now I got to go to a junior college, which yes. is crazy, right? To, to some kids, they'll think, oh, shit, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily crazy. Some opportunities lead to a different thing. We think about the guys like Cam Newton, who was at the University of Florida, yeah, and goes to Blaine College, where things are totally different, right? To in order to get an opportunity. So, talk a little bit about your experience at the JUCO, mm-hmm. and and what you learned from the JUCO. Not necessarily moving on, but what you learned at the JUCO, and what things that kind of help you today now as being a teacher, coach, father. Yeah, yeah. So I think that. Um I think that, like you said, it's, it's much more common now uh, for kids to, to start at a Division two or Division one, want to transfer, and they'll go JUCO for a year or two and mm-hmm. then transfer out of that. Uh, and that just goes to show you the respect that these, that, these, uh, that these programs have for junior college programs and the grind of junior college. Um, I use a word like grind, man, because it, it speaks about what junior college is, man. Like when I got there, for sure. Um, like I said at USC Aiken, we were treated really well, extremely well. Uh, when I got to JUCO, like it was no more, it was no more per diem or nice arenas. You know, half the time it was nobody in the stands when you came to play. Right. Um, everybody 
everybody wanted that next scholarship so every practice was a grind mm-hmm. uh, keep in mind i had been in <clears throat> i had been in college for two years at this point so i'm a little more you know mature and you got freshmen coming in so i think the age gap was just different right um but i think the biggest thing man i got from junior college is just like like i said the grind of it and it really humbled me uh because i'm thinking all right you know i'm coming from usc aiken you know, we were a championship program. We had just one conference the year I left. Correct. So I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm a I'm a breeze through this year and you know hop on to the next thing. But man, like, every day was a battle. It was a battle, man. And he, and then that's just in practice. That's not even talking about when we, the teams we would play. We played in a really tough conference. So, right. Um, nah, man, it it was it was definitely a grind. Junior college is no joke. If you don't bring it, you will be exposed. For sure. But what I'll tell you is if you can get out of that situation, if you can get through it, programs know that they're getting a they're getting a super highly competitive athlete who will grind uh, if you can get through a JUCO program. All right. So, so that that's kind of what I learned, man, just how to grind and how to, you know, um, be, you know, focus on at, at, focus on the task at hand, you know, basketball in school. It wasn't a lot of other distractions that you get at bigger universities for sure so so now going with the question that was asked first you moved from juco uh so how how did your journey move along from where you've been an athlete to where you you flip the switch and it's like hey maybe i need to teach the game maybe i need to coach the game let me jump into that my playing days are when you start to see that window closing my playing days start to get over but i don't want to leave the game yeah for me man it, i wouldn't even say it was a window closing um you know, not to sound prideful, but you know, there were many years after I, I made the decision that I still felt as if, you know, I could play at a high level. As you should. So, and, and you know, and people would tell me like, dude, you can you can still hoop, man. Like, right. why are you not playing? Um, so to be honest, it was it was more of a calling. It mm-hmm. felt like a calling. Um, I just remember it would have been my third school. Um, at the time, like I said, I went to USC Aiken and Aiken Tech. Both were local to where you know we're from. Uh, so at, at this point, you you know you were starting your high school career, and um, <clears throat> at, you know I hadn't been gone. You know I had been just 15, 20 minutes up the road. So right. you know I could still be that that point of of contact whenever you needed advice, you needed a workout, you know anything like that. I was still. Uh, readily available to you mm-hmm. and so uh this third school would have been out of like i would have had to leave town uh so i just remember you sitting me down and you was like you know basically you didn't really want me to leave and yeah, you kind of wanted me to you know get you through your journey and as i was looking at y'all's teams you know your teams and the kids who were in the community at the time uh y'all were special and, and it just felt like you know a lot of you guys i had been training for a little while uh, so y'all were special man and uh just to be honest, a lot of y'all were actually blood family. So it was just like a, it just felt like a calling. Um, you know, Mark Snellgrove was still the head coach at the time and he was my coach. And so it was an easy transition. And uh, I knew I could coach you and other guys and I could see something special brewing. So it just felt like that was my calling at the time to put the ball down and be a part of something bigger than myself. Right. Um, so like that's how I was summed up, honestly. Yeah. So what was your first uh what was your first coaching coaching gig job? 
Yeah, man. So my first my first coaching gig uh, was whenever my playing career was over. Uh, Mark Snellgrove brought me on staff at Midland Valley. It was on a volunteer basis, and it was uh, it was Midland Valley's first year having a B team. So um, so he put me on as the the B team head coach, uh, as well as one of his varsity assistants. So that was my first that was my first ever coaching job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with with that first coaching job, what what was your what were some of your thoughts about first time coaching? You you still in a, a space where, like you were saying, people are asking you, well, dang, dude, like you can still play. What's the hold up? So what what was your headspace when you were first offered the the opportunity to now start teaching the game, more or less than playing it? Uh, it depends on what team. Honestly, man, it depends on what team you you uh, referring to. So that. For y'all, the varsity squad, man, to be, it was awesome. Like, y'all were ready to receive advanced advice. Y'all were so locked in. Y'all were already talented. Um, y'all had all the pieces, all the ingredients, plus the, the work ethic um, to be champions. Now, the B team was a little different. Uh, all good guys, all guys who would end up being champions in the long run. Right. Uh, like a Zach Johnson. Right. But it was just different because you know how it, like when you're done playing, you expect. I think that what makes it hard for for players to become coaches is that it's hard for you to get out of that headspace of expecting everybody to know the same things that you know and I agree or have the same <laughs> effort that you have. Yeah, all of those things. So I'm like, man, dang, he can't do a left hand layup or. <laughs> He don't know how to work pick and roll, or he don't understand the importance of defense. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was tough for me to right. kind of realize, all right, you know, everybody starts off on different levels. My job is to get them, take them from a place of where they are uh, to where we want them to be. Uh, so that was probably the hardest part. The hardest transition is just getting out of my player's mind uh, into more of a mind of, all right, I am a teacher of information, and my job is to take them from point A to B. Right. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you jumped a little bit, but it's all good. So um, you you're on the coaching staff mm-hmm. with what I call the All Star team. Mm-hmm. You, Miguel Miguel Burns, yep. Ken Quiller, uh, Mark Snowgirl, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you and you got. Players, don't forget Nolan Meyer, definitely Jamar Nolan Lott. Meyer, Jamar Lott. You, you're absolutely right, and, and don't I don't mean that. to right. And so, Nolan Myers and, and Jamar Lott, mm-hmm. and even with those two names, 19 and 6, yeah, we yeah. all were players, yeah. And now you got your youngest brother me. through coming through, and now we're breaking the record, yeah. So, my question to you is, how easy was it to coach that team? Man, I'm not gonna lie to you. The hardest part about coaching y'all, and y'all did a y'all did an awesome job. And I think it came from the fact that in our community we had never won a state championship, uh, so that helped. That helped to not get too cocky. Right. Uh, but that was the hardest part, man. Just keeping you guys focused throughout the season. Like, look, I know we I know we beating everybody up, but like, there's a bigger goal than just this Christmas tournament. There's a bigger goal than just winning the region. Like you know, there's something else out there, uh, but nah, it was it was, dude. By far the the most fun I've had coaching was was those years. Right. So let me ask you why? Not because you coaching your little brother, 
What about the other guys? Like, what what made it so much fun? I think the I think the community. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier in the podcast, but just the community connection in the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I think makes that that area unique and special is the lineage of families that that uh, progress from one generation to the next. Right. Where essentially we're all related, if you will. So like. Mm-hmm. So putting y'all all in a pot, man, and kind of knowing what the goal was. Plus, like you said, I'm coaching with guys who I played with, who I graduated with. Um, and then Mark Snellgrove was my high school coach. Right. I just think, man, it just – it. they always talk about team chemistry and, like, genuine genuine love for each other. Mm-hmm. I think we had that. I think that's what oh, made it sure. – I think that's what made it the best. For what sure. made it so great is that, like – when we were really clicking, I think we just all loved each other. We had fun. You know, we had fun competing. Shoot, practices were harder than the games, honestly. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. And, and to that point, man, like, I think what's, what's missing now with kids is that they think that, oh, just because we're cool, we can't compete. Mm-hmm. Just because we're cool, we, we can't fuss and bicker and fight Absolutely. sometimes. Absolutely. But but that's that's what comes with iron shopping and iron. That's what comes with good no teams being able to compete at their best against somebody else. For sure. Because of practice. Shoot, For there sure. were times where I'm running through the baseline and Aaron them poked his butt out and them hit me all, all hard on the ground. I want to fight with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's times when Cameron's setting them hard back screens. It's like, all right, come on, dude. Like, right. like we have to fight at this point. You know what I mean? But, but that didn't right. stop the fact that Cameron's still my guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm still Cameron's guy. You know what I mean? So right, and and I feel like that that's missing today now with with, with high school kids who feel like, oh shoot, that's my friend. We're not even talking about high school. Let's talk about college. Let's talk about NBA. How friendly (laughs) guys are. Like I understand that y'all cool, but at the end of the day, when we get between those lines, that's just what it is. Right. You know what I mean? Like we we all out here to compete. We all out here to do a job. And I feel like that that's kind of missing. Um I know you allude to it when we talk off camera, uh, off off air, a lot. You know, you, you're one of the guys that I talk to every day. Yeah. But it's, you always talk about how you didn't have to beg for us to be in the gym. Mm-hmm. Does that make it easier to coach when you don't have to beg guys to be in the gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that I think what makes you what makes you a winner are your everyday habits. Right. And y'all's habits were were on point. Your y'all's knowledge for knowledge for uh, the unknown or how to get better or what it took to be a champion and your curiosity and then your willingness to execute it daily was just unmatched uh, for what you would see out of a public high school team um, and it was just it was just a joy to be around man and to watch. Right. So with all that, we win a state championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go back again my senior year, still on the coaching staff. Yep. We lose to another to a floor team who we beat the year before. Right. Um, Shout out Coach Staley. Josh oh yeah, Staley. Josh and Staley, man. He had them teams right year in year out. Yep. <laughs> so you lead the valley. Mm-hmm. You get a you get a, a, a teaching job. You become into the education. You graduate. Where did you where, where did you graduate? College with what was your degree? So my degree is in in sociology uh, with a minor in psychology. Right. So now you're in now you're in the school system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're first a eight a shadow a eight. Yep. Which then turns into which you were doing at Millen Valley. Mm-hmm. 
which then turns into a, a teaching gig. Right. Um, at Irma. Mm-hmm. You out there with Coach Whipple, legend Coach Whipple. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure y'all had conversations. What, what, what did you learn a little bit from Coach Whipple as a, as a, uh, as a basketball coach? Um, I think my short time been at Irmo, um, and, and having conversations with him, and even now, like we, we have a good relationship now. He he's one that I would call uh, somewhat of a mentor. We you know we're in the same. We're not. We don't play in the same division anymore, but uh, our two schools are in the same same um, uh, shoot, school, same school district. Sorry. Right. right. Um, so yeah, I think what I learned from him is how to appreciate the history of the game, mm -hmm. appreciate the players and what they do on a daily basis. And honestly, man, I think what I, what I learned from him is how to adapt. Right. Like you look, you take a, a guy like uh, Tim Whipple, coach Tim Whipple, you know, he's one when Irmo was one certain demographic mm -hmm. and then it's changed throughout the years and he's still one. Right. So just learning how to adapt, man. Um, and change things year by year, depending on what kid you have. And creating real relationships um, is what I probably have learned most from Coach Whipple. Right. So, so you move on from Irmo, mm -hmm. get to Chapin. Yeah. Uh, first off, let's take a step back. What made you want to do education? <laughs> it's funny, guys. Uh, so I think my first encounter with education had to have been my junior or my yeah my junior year in high school. Yeah. Um, Man, one of the best teachers in the world. First of all, shout out Milton Valley High School right. uh, and the teachers I had there. Um, the impact that my teachers there had on me is still so prevalent today. It's crazy. Like every year for Teacher Appreciation Week, I try to make it a point to reach out to those people, to those folks. Um, but uh, Miss Johnson was my 11th grade English teacher, English three, mm -hmm. and uh, or English four, excuse me, uh, my 11th grade year, and. Um, she was another African-American teacher right. and she just had this way of inspiring me like she just always believed in me it was funny because her son actually played at Furman for coach Bobby Johnson who recruited me at Vanderbilt right so um, but yeah she just always saw something different than me that was uh, you know different than my peers different from most um, star athletes and she just always pushed me towards my ability to be charismatic, to have people follow me and to teach. Mm -hmm. And so we had the program Teacher Cadet, and man, she begged me and begged me to be a part of it. All right. um, and Lisa Dybul was teaching it, another, another great influence on me. Oh, yeah. um, and so I said, you know what, I'll give it a shot. And a lot of my friends decided to do so as well. So I was like, so that made it even better. All right. Um, and so that year, man, just really opened my eyes to education. Um, and what I could bring to the table as an educator. So going into my freshman year at USC Aiken, that was actually my major. Uh, I, I went okay. into college as an education major. Um, things changed, and mainly just because it was tough to do your education field work while sure. also playing basketball. For sure, that's the toughest thing I ever did. <laughs> yeah, so it was almost impossible. It was to the point where you, you were gonna have to go to school extra time because you could only do your field work during certain times of the year. Oh yeah. And it was it would just have combated with the season. Right. So um so yeah, like like Jonas, you know, and, and having to go to Nineveh and trying to run from it so long and, you know, 
having to almost be in the belly of the beast to, to figure out like what his true calling was. That's what happened to me. Right. So I eventually came back to education. Um, and mainly because I, it was a connection between uh, basketball and, and teaching. Right. Um, and they're one and the same, man. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, later. But, you know, teaching and coaching and how it's just one and the same. And I just realized that was my calling and had some good people uh, in my circle who kind of pushed me that way, too. And, right. you know, that's kind of how it worked out. So, so you landed at Chapin High. Mm -hmm. uh, was that Lexington Richland Five? Yep. Shout out to them. Um, yep, Richland Five, best district in the in the state of South Carolina. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little biased, yeah, but that's all right. So, what, what what field do you teach right now? So I'm special education, uh, and dope. I do resource. So that's dope. Um, so pretty much every every type of special need you can have, they come through my door. Um, they're all, most of them are all diploma tracks, so they pretty much regular students. They may have, you know, a, a specific learning disability here or some sort of emotional disability there. Right. But, um, but yeah, so that's what, that's what I do. So one, I want to give you your flowers for that. Number one, cause that, that's dope. It, it takes a lot of heart, a lot of, a lot of care mm -hmm. to number one, do special education alone, but then to be a, a African-American teacher where there's already shortage males. All right. Yeah. African American male, yeah. and and you chose to deal with the kids that most people don't want to deal with. Right. So I want to give you an applause and take my hat off to you. You know what I mean? Because that's dope. We need more like you. No, nah, man, I appreciate it. But um, but you know how we grew up, man. We grew up in a you know a, a Christian household, and yeah. Um, our parents were youth pastors and. Sunday school teachers, so it, you know, it's, it's always kind of just been embedded in, in us. So that's true. Uh, so then I I want to ask, um, you're the head coach, mm -hmm. uh, at at Chapin High, coaching kids, a little different demographic of what you used to. Yeah. Uh, you had us at at the Valley Sauce team. Right. Uh, but now you got a different demographic. You have to talk to them a little different, yeah. care about them just a little different. Uh, but then you also have a different demographic of kids in the school. Yeah. So then my question to you is, how does teaching your kids and coaching your, how is teaching your kids mm -hmm. and then coaching your basketball team, how are those things the same? I promise you, man, it, it really is the same. It, there is no different and what I do in the classroom and what I do on the court. Uh, the only thing I'd say, of course, on the court, I feel like I can dig a little deeper because mm -hmm. the, we spend more time together. You know, we, we literally see each other every day for hours. Right. Um, I don't get that luxury with my classroom kids, um, at least not all of them. But it's the same, man. Like from, from, from practice planning to lesson plans, and the, and the similarities in those things to taking, preparing and taking tests and preparing for a game and playing the game. I mean, sure. it, it literally is the same. At the end of the day, it's not what you know, it's what you can teach. And kids do not care about what you know until they know that you care. Right, right, and, and I think that's a dope, that's a dope uh, way to, to approach it. Because the one thing that stands out to me is you said, um, most people always say it's not what you know, it's who you know, mm. which is true, right? Right. But but in this case, it is a 
not necessarily what you know, but what you can teach. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, we can know all the information in the world, but if there's no way to, to teach it, right. then what's the point of knowing the information? You know what I mean? Like I always say my motto is uh, reach one, teach one. You know what I mean? I know the, the saying is each one, teach one. Right. But I feel like you can't teach somebody until you can reach them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think just going back to what we talked about earlier, I think that's what makes it tough for players to transition into coaching because you have to be able to take the, the knowledge that you have and relay it to somebody who may have never uh, played ball before. Right. So, and that's what's tough. You obviously know the information you played, you know, and, and played at a high level. Exactly. But can you, can you uh, break that information down and pass it along in a way where kids can understand it? Like you said, the, you know, part of understanding, you, you mentioned reach one, teach one, man. It really is just about can you reach them past basketball? Right create a relationship and then they really will open up to what you and receive what you have to give them so just for the record it is very important mm. to have a relationship with kids outside of their sport no doubt like no doubt. you can't just be coach Carr. you know what i mean mm. like oh only time i can talk to him is if i'm talking about hoops right like they they should feel like they can come talk to you even if they have no problem in their home absolutely or they have a problem academically absolutely Right, so so I think, um, and, and and that's a very dope way to uh, go about it. I feel like it's a dope way to approach it because at the end of the day, obviously our dynamic is different, right? Right. Because we, we blood brothers, but at the end of the day, yes, me and you can sit here and have a conversation um, when it pertains to hoops, when it pertains to football, right? Mm. As quote-unquote my coach. Right. But then when we leave, Hey, bro, I'm having a I'm having a problem with this, that, and the third in school. I'm having a problem with this, that, and the third with a relationship, this, that, and the third. Like we can have that conversation, and I felt comfortable, not necessarily because you, you know, what I'm saying, yeah, you're my brother, but I wasn't looking at it that way. Yeah, you know what I mean. But not just me, my teammates as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I think not that sure. that is a, a very important thing, which then turns me into this: mm-hmm. How does some of these skills and traits? Translate into being a father. <laughs> um, you got two beautiful babies, my niece and my nephew, man. Like, but how 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 does that translate? Being the best father you can be to them. Uh, and sometimes, do you ever see not necessarily your kids as your kid, your 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 kids that you're coaching as your kids, but do you instill some of those same values that you would to Charlotte and Christian, or that some of the same lessons that you would teach to them too that you try to talk to your kids about? Oh. Uh, so for me, it's not even about like I don't even see, I don't see it as like a, a thing where I can say being a coach makes me a better father or vice versa. I think if mm-hmm. anything, it, it just put it puts things in a perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you honestly, man, like I think about when I was coaching y'all. If you ask my players now, they would tell you. If you were to see me coaching today, you probably think I got soft. And, and part of that, I the, do the players would say, is because I have kids now. You know. Uh-huh. Um, nah, man, but I think that having kids just makes me, it makes me look at my players differently. It does make me think about, okay, if, if a coach were coaching Charlotte or Christian, um, how would I want my kids to be treated right. uh, from a parent perspective? And so now that I'm cognizant of that, that thought process, I have no choice but to think about that as I'm coaching my kids. Um, and also, I think that the, it brings more of a family atmosphere. Like, I want my kids, I, I tell my players all the time, like, you're 
you're my kids' first heroes that they'll ever know. Yeah. You know, those are you're the guys that my son's gonna look up to. Um as well as or, the guys in the community. Or any other kid in the community. Like right. you're their heroes. Right. So it, it, it just I think it brings more bring about more of a family atmosphere with me and my programs now that I do have kids. Uh so it just changes perspective. Right. Right. And and, and I'm glad you said that because um, obviously, as being a father, Charlotte might not be like Christian, mm-hmm. right? So you have to talk to Charlotte, and they boy girl, right? But right, you can't talk to Charlotte how you talk to Christian. I mean, you could, but you know what I mean. There's some things that you'd be able to reach Christian a way that you won't be able to reach Charlotte. You know what I mean? And I feel like that that ties into players. I can talk to John a certain way, but I can't talk to him. But I want the same result out of him. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I feel like gotta differentiate, right? Sure. And I feel like that—that's a part of that—that that we don't look at as mm-hmm. as coaches. Every how that, player is different, right? Like, every player is different. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I want the we'll same result. Is differently. It's like I want different. him to get here, but I can't yell at you. Can yell at me, right? But you yeah. can't yell at as that falsely. Yeah, facts. You know what I mean? But facts. you want the same result. That you both want us to play hard. <laughs> For sure. Right. So I, I feel like that's a that's a good um, thing. So what as as you become a head coach, right? I know I know y'all talk about Coach Byrne giving y'all the coaching Bible. <laughs> what are some things that you want to give newly head coach or inspiring head coaches as far as the high school level? Mm-hmm. Ahead so about something that's not everyday co- common knowledge outside of X's and O's. Like we talk like obviously we know being a head coach is about X's and O's, game plan and things like that. Right. But what are some things that you can give a heads up about to the next head coach that they probably need to know that wasn't necessarily told to you until you was knee deep in it? Uh, first of all, like shout out to the guys who kind of mentored me. You, you mentioned Miguel Burns, uh, obviously Bart Snellgrove, mm-hmm. uh, my college coaches, Vince Alexander, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Capers. Um, but then guys like Daryl Hedrick, who I worked for for right. a brief stint at Miller Valley, and is like one of my best friends to this day, uh, teaching me more of the administration side of coaches. That's what I would. That's what I would talk to young coaches about. Uh, if you want to coach, obviously you have a passion for for whatever sport it is. But learning how to deal with parents and deal with player personality, right. learning how to do the paperwork of it all, how to schedule games, how to do a practice plan. Um, all of those things are things you don't think about uh, when you're coming into coaching and they become some of your most important things for sure. uh, fundraising even Yep. so um, you can either get really good or the way I would the way I would try to uh, advise a young coach is to put good people around you hmm. who you can delegate some of these things to um, I, I'm blessed or have been blessed to have that at Chapman uh, since, I, since I've been the head coach but those are some of the things I was talking about. Just some of that 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 admin stuff that right. you would never think about when you come to coaching. So obviously, been a head coach at, on the high school level. Mm-hmm. Um, you are training the next generation of kids that's going to be in the community, right. right? And they're passing through four years. You're going to get them for four years at least, right? Yeah. Um, so we hope. Right. Way, <laughs> right. Kids moving. Yeah. Shaking deal these days, you never know. But yeah, yeah that's but true. Yes, that's true. So, what are you doing now? Because obviously, you have to, like you said, kids are moving. Kids mm-hmm. are being quote unquote recruited every day. Right. Y'all got right. what? 
four or five schools in one little <laughs> area that kids have to choose from. Yeah. So my question is, you're you're at Chapin, right? What what are you doing to try to reach the youth to want them to say, I want to be at Chapin Eagle. I want to play for him when I become a ninth grader. Well, I think your brand has to be has to have something that's different than the other brands. And honestly, wins and losses is, is a huge thing. Right. Uh, but aside from wins and losses, I think a lot of high school kids, because if you think about it, man, in public school basketball, a, a lot of high school kids don't plan on playing on the next level. That's true. Um, you know, we, to be honest with you, South Carolina is probably a football and baseball state. For sure. Um, and, and Chapin is a baseball football town. Mm. So I think that, um, for me, man, it's a, it, again, it starts with relationships. They got to know that in my program, they are going to be developed, but we talk about mind, body, mind, body, spirit. So the whole man is being developed. Uh, they got to know that they have a home for life. They got to know that their experiences are going to be, are going to be different, uh, than any other sport. And they, these are all off the court things. Right. Um, so I would I would just start there, and 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 that's dope. And uh, and and one of the things that you must do, uh, as a matter of fact, I am running a camp uh, starting tomorrow. But you have to reach the kids earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't be that that ghost of a head coach who, who they see at the games, but you know you're not you're not rubbing elbows with the sixth graders. Like right at this point, sixth graders up know me by name. Uh, they worked with me before. Um, their parents have a relationship with me. And so I become a guy that they can trust. My staff becomes people they can trust, that they know that at the end of the day, their, their kids will have the, uh, they'll be looked out for and we have their well-being in, in mind. Right, and, and that's dope. I think that's very dope. That's very important, reaching our youth. Uh, reaching them, like I always say, reaching them so we can teach them. And early. Right. Reaching them early. Reaching them early, because there is a such thing as reaching them too late. Yes, sir. They'd be at the school down the road. Right. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get ready to wrap up. But and so the last segment, what I want to do is I'm I'm, I'm going to say a couple names to you. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to give give a couple things that first thing that come to mind. Okay. All right. So, so the first one, Miguel Burns. Miguel Burns, that's the godfather, man. Like, uh, <laughs> I still run his defensive system to this day. Um, I still talk to him daily. He's a guy I can go to if it's about basketball, if I need my breaks done, uh, <laughs> shoot, how to raise daughters. That's my guy. So, uh, yeah, just a godfather, man. A guy who I've learned a ton from. All right, very dope dude. Uh, Mark Snellgrove. Mark Snellgrove, man, that's... Uh, May you rest in peace. Yes, sir, that's like... It's like a, dare I say it, like a second father. Uh, For sure. Gave me a ton of opportun opportunities. And this is not just basketball. Uh, you know, when I wanted to get into education, quick story, when I wanted to get into education, uh, I had to go to an alternate route, mm -hmm. obviously, because my, my degree was not in education. Right. You know, he paid for everything. He paid for me to take the, the test, the practices. He, t he paid for, uh, like I said, the the fee for the pace program mm -hmm. uh, you know he did it all so just like a father figure man good dude oh yeah I can, and quick side note yeah definitely he you know he called us his his children right. <laughs> you know what I mean like he, right. he loved us all like every player he's had but 
when it comes to us, when I say us, me and you, like yeah, we were yeah. like his other children. Uh, yeah, he did so, talk. So may God, may God rest his soul. Uh, daily praying for Miss Snowgirl. For sure. Daily, like she, she's a strong woman for sure. Absolutely. And uh, just, just praying for her well-being and, and peace of mind as mm-hmm. she worked through the journey in life without him. Uh, Mr. Woodruff, I know that's a name you haven't <laughs> heard a lot, but I, I feel like he played a, a big part you know what I mean? As far as with us, when we talk about the the black kids in the school, but talk talk a little about Mr. Woodruff. What, what comes to mind when you hear that name? So Mr. Woodruff was another guy I would say that kind of pushed me into education. He he's the guy who took the black kids into school and made sure that we were thinking beyond Milton Valley High School. You know, he made sure that uh, we had our clearinghouse done to be recruited for NCAA. Mm-hmm. He made sure that our grades were on point. He introduced us to new things like singing in choirs and playing other sport and you know just doing things outside the box right. that we thought that we were just too you know too hood for too cool for um he just kept us on the right track you know he, he made sure that we had somebody that looked like us that we could look up to um and gain experience from right um the valley as a high school the school that we came through mm-hmm. the valley as a high school i would say is a place that houses a bunch of hidden gems mm-hmm. for uh, sure a lot of powerful people in there both staff members and students um that just the you know the world doesn't or the state doesn't always get to see mm-hmm. so just a place that holds a bunch of hidden gems and i i think the sauce team definitely shows that yep. we run up against the ac floor mm-hmm well, honestly, on paper, they're better than us. Right. <laughs> I mean, let's do as quiet as you kept, man. Like, they have six guys who highly recruited Division One. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and we have guys that should be, but like you said, hidden gems. People don't know much about us. So, and, and I, I think the Valley is a place, like you said, hidden, hidden gem. We hold a whole bunch of hidden stuff that the world just don't know about. Yeah, I'm not, and I ain't talking about athletics either oh no you know even academically oh yeah a lot of my classmates have gone on to do some awesome things in the world so which ties into talk a little about the valley as a community that we grew up in as a community man it's it's unique uh i think that's the best way to to really state it um Mm -hmm. it's it's different but it's a place that uh, I would say is very supportive. Uh, I always, people think it's crazy that like the dudes that I grew up with, uh, they're still like my best friends to this day. Yeah. Uh, just before, you know, we hopped on this podcast, we were talking about going to Christian Heritage Church uh, in Graniteville and playing ball this Wednesday. Oh yeah. <laughs> these, are, these are friends I've met through the Valley, you know, the community in the Valley, you know, right. you know even a church that took us in and gave us a place to, you know, for the youth to come. Uh, so I just think it's a place that there's a lot of unity. I mean, you've seen it. Whether we're good, bad, or indifferent in sports, they're gonna sh- the fans are gonna show up. Right. Uh, just a unique place, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your AD, Ronnie mm-hmm. Wessinger. Mm-hmm. Talk a little. What, what comes to mind when you hear that name? Um. For him, I would honestly say just a just a supportive guy. Like ever since I came to Chapin, uh, he's been awesome as far as like just supporting uh, 
what I wanted to do. Uh, and, the, you know, when, when Coach Snellgrove was going through his sickness with cancer, like him and his, you know, his team and athletic offices, they made sure that anything that I needed, you know, to transition into helping Coach Snellgrove and then eventually, you know, when he passed away and I, and I became the head coach, just mm -hmm. making sure that whatever I needed uh, that I had. So just support, man, when I think of Coach Wessinger and what he does for me. The principal, Mr. Michael Amos. Yeah, Mike. So Mike, man, the fact that I call him by his first name is just <laughs> like that. That shows you his relationship with the people who work for him. Right. Um, what I love about Mike Ames is he also used to coach, too. So I think that he understands where I come from as a guy who, you know, coaches get coaches who educate, they get a bad rap. You know, a lot of people think they're just teaching just to coach. Right. Uh, that's not me. I've always been high academic. Um, and I teach special ed. So obviously I care a little bit more than about just this, you know, the basketball. Um, but he's just always, you know, whatever visions I had for what Chapin basketball could have, could become, uh, he's always just been supportive of it, man, and, and helped me push it and, you know, pull strings so I could do it. Uh, sure. But the same things in my, in my educational you know, in my professional endeavors as well, like as a teacher, he, he, you know, he's done nothing short of being supportive and put things in place for me to grow. Um, and he's also been an example of what I eventually want to do when I get out of coaching, which is being, you know, in school admin. Right. And that you can go from being a coach to being a principal. All right. A uh, couple more mm -hmm. and, and we'll finish up. Curtis Carr Sr. Yeah, my dad, my dad, man. Pops, that's, man. That's, that's super <laughs> man to me. Uh, uh, I would, the, the adjective I think of immediately is sacrifice. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, just all that he sacrificed for us growing up to pursue our dreams. And, uh, you know, like, I don't remember him missing many games. No, nah, not for On top of working swing shift and working extra shifts and, right. you know, all the things that he did for us. And then seeing him sacrificing, like, be present in my in my kid's life. Oh, yeah. You know, my kids love Pop-Pop. Everybody loves Pop-Pop. Tyson loves Pop-Pop. So <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just incredible, man, his, his sacrifice to make sure that the family stays together and um, put his needs last and put ours first. All right. Mary Carr. Mom. Um, shoot. I could use sacrifice for her too, man, but I would just use more of a, you know, your number one cheerleader. You know, I always just wanting to see you do well in whatever it is. And always, you know, whether your decisions are right or wrong and whether she agrees with them, she's going to always be by your side and make sure that, you know, things run smooth for you. For sure. And and, and, and on the side note, man, we, we talk about uh, my dudes and, and pops. Uh, like you said, with, with pops, man, it, it is a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of sacrifice for us. Right. You know what I mean? I, even the smallest sacrifice, man. Christmas come around, never forget the year we got an Xbox 360. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He, I remember him picking up extra shifts. Yeah. Just so we can get that Xbox on Christmas. Uh, like he he definitely does a lot of sacrifice. But when we talk about my man, like superwoman, I think is the word that comes for me, man. Cause uh, seeing how she handled that having the brain aneurysm, you know, what I mean, I'm in the house at the time when yeah. it when it happened. So um, 
just seeing how she navigate all that and, and not that she's doing it by herself, but, but she is, you know what I'm saying? She's the main caretaker for nah, lack of a better world. Even, and even putting some of her own ambitions and uh, things that she wanted to do. For sure. Uh, to the side so that her kids could go to a basketball camp or right. play all-star baseball or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, or even to be that, you know, that wife. You know, she had to sacrifice quite a bit as well. Um, and she is my main babysitter now. So, <laughs> real talk. You know, so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, real talk. All right, last one. We, we're going to end up with this one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I didn't do this on purpose, but Daniel Carr. Uh, Miller Valley's GOAT. <laughs> you know, I, I would say uh, just... I would say a warrior, a dude who um, brought life to a community at a time where we needed needed it the most, um, and a person who who's only scratching the surface. Uh, this podcast is a great start, but only only scratching the surface of what his, his true calling and potential is, and how he can reach the masses. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely appreciate it, man. Uh, no that, that, that was Mark Carr, man. My, one of my older brothers, uh, everybody knows I've got three of them, but one of, one of the most influential persons in my life. Uh, dope dude, dope coach. Uh, you got kids, sent them to Chapman High School. They love to play for him for sure. Uh, you got AAU teams, yeah. special ed teacher. Yeah. Uh, great dude, great father. Uh, definitely lucky, I would say, to uh, to call him my brother. And, and, and just on the air, man, I, I want to go ahead and just, I say, I give you your flowers. But I mean, we talk about it. But mm. I want to personally thank you for. I know, I know you had dreams and ambitions and things like that. But I, I personally thank you for not going. You know what I mean? Because because those things ended up helping me in the long run. Um, you, you showed me the way. Like people, people always say, "Oh yeah, damn, you did this, that, you did that. You worked hard, this, that, and third. But somebody had to show it to me. Somebody had to reach me to teach me. Yeah, you no know doubt. what I mean. And, and, you, and you was that one. The the story that that always come to mind for me is that day we was at the track, <laughs> <laughs> and you said, ten, we're gonna run 10 100 It's hot. It's yeah. hot as all get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hot as hell outside. And, and you said ten downing backs of one hundreds. We got like number seven. He was mm-hmm. like, all right, we're going to run one more, and that's it. I was like, nah, bro, you said 10. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I had to learn that from somewhere. I saw it every day who was in the house. And uh, so, so I appreciate that sacrifice. Appreciate you doing that for me because it, it did more for me than you even know. Bro, I'm 24, and I still think about some of the stuff, you know what I mean, that you taught me, things we talked about. Even yeah. now, I already know I can always pick up the phone and call you. So appreciate it, man. And uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Appreciate the information that you gave. For sure. Uh, all right. So, so we're we going to end on that, man. It, it's, the, it's the Detail Athlete Podcast. Uh, reach one to teach one. And we out. Let's get it.